Section 39 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 2 by Thomas Stevens. Chapter 18, Part 3, Down the Kanjiao Valley. The Chosain, as I believe the chief magistrate is titled, greets me while running out with his subordinates, with reassuring cries of Sisiso, 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 repeated with extraordinary rapidity between shouts of deprecation to the mob. The mob seem half inclined to pursue us even inside the precincts of the Yaman, but the authoritative voice of the Chosain restrains their aggressiveness within partly governable measure. Nevertheless, in spite of his presence, showers of stones are hurled into the Yamen so long as I remain in sight. As quickly as possible the Chassain ushers me into his own office, where he quickly proves himself a comparatively enlightened individual by arching his eyebrows and propounding the query, French? Ying Yun, I reply, feeling the advantage of being English or American rather than French more appreciably, perhaps, than I have ever done before or since. This question of the Chassains at once reveals a gleam of explanatory light concerning the hostility of the people. For aught I know to the contrary, it may be but a few days ago since the Jesuit missionaries were compelled to flee for their lives. The mob cannot be expected to distinguish between French and English. To the average celestial, we of the Western world, are indiscriminately known as Fangues, or foreign devils. Even to such an enlightened individual as the Chassain himself, these divisions of the Fangue race are but vaguely understood. After satisfying himself by questioning the Yemeni runners that I am without companions or other baggage save the bicycle, the Chassain ferrets out a bottle of some shoe and tenders me a liberal allowance in a teacup. This is evidently administered with the kindly intention of quieting my nerves, which he imagines to be unstrung from the alarmingly rough treatment at the hands of his riotous townmen. Riotous they are beyond a doubt, for even as the Chassain pours out the some shoe, the clamorous howls of Fangwei, Fangwei seem louder than ever at the gates. Now and then, as the tumult outside seems to be increasing, the Chassain writes big red characters on flat bamboo staves and sends it out by an officer to be read to the mob, and occasionally, as he sits and listens attentively to the clamor, as though gauging the situation by the volume of the noise, he addresses himself to me with a soothing and reassuring, so, 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 so. Shortly after my arrival, the worthy-minded Chassain knits his brow for a moment in a profound study, and then, lightening up suddenly, delivers himself of no savvy, a choice morsel of pigeon English that he has somehow acquired. This is the full extent of his knowledge, however, but feeble glimmer of my own mother tongue though it be, it sounds quite cheery amid the wilderness, wild of celestial gabble in the office. For although the shackles of authority hold in check the murderous mob, howling for my barbarian gore outside. A constant stream of officials and their friends are admitted to see me and the bicycle. In making an examination of the bicycle, the peculiar Kinyang Fu squeak finds spontaneous expression at every new surprise. A man enters the room, peers wonderingly into my face, 
squeak comes closer and looks again squeak notices the peculiar cut of my garments squeak observes my shoes squeak sees helmet on table squeak sees the bicycle squeak goes and touches it squeak finds out that the pedals twirl round squeak and thus he continues until he has seen everything and squeaked at everything he then takes a lingering survey of the room to satisfy himself that nothing has been overlooked gives a parting squeak and leaves the room the chassane provides me with a chicken boiled whole head included for supper and consumes his own meal at the same time the difference between the chassane eating little prepared meatballs and rice with gilded chopsticks and myself tearing the spraggly-looking rooster asunder and gnawing the drumsticks greedily with my teeth no doubt readily appeals to the interested lookers-on as an instructive picture of chinese civilization and outer barbarism as depicted in our respective modes of eating side by side more than once during the evening the tumult at the gate swells into a fierce hubbub as though pandemonium had broken loose and the bloodthirsty mob were determined to fetch me out every minute at these periodical outbursts i expect to see them come surging in through the doorway a sociable young man whose chief concern is to keep me supplied with pipes and tea explains with the aid of a taper that the crowd are desirous of burning me alive this cheerful piece of information the sociable young man imparts with a characteristic chinese chuckle of amusement the thought of a fangui squirming and sizzling in the oil-fed flames touches the cord of his risibilities and makes him giggle merrily the chassane himself occasionally goes out and harangues the excited mob the authoritative tones of his voice being plainly heard above the squabbling and yelling it must be near about midnight when the excitement is finally subsided and the mob dispersed to their homes six yameni runners then file into the room paper umbrellas slung at their backs in green cloth cases and stout bamboo quarter staves in hand the chassane gives them their orders and delivers a letter into the hands of the officer in charge he then bids me prepare to depart bidding me farewell with much polite bowing and scraping and sundry memorable chinchins a closely covered palanquin is waiting outside the door into this i am conducted and the blinds carefully drawn a squad of men with flaming torches the chassane and several officials lead the way maintaining great secrecy and quiet stout carriers hoist the palanquin to their shoulders and follow on behind others bring up the rear carrying the bicycle back through the manchu quarter and out of the gate again our little cavalcade wends its way the officials immediately about the palanquin addressing one another in undertones back part way along the same street which but a few short hours ago resounded with the hoots and yells of the mischievous mob down a long flight of steps and the palanquin is resting at the end of a gangplank leading aboard a little passenger sampan the worthy chassane bows and scrapes and chinchins me along this gangplank the bicycle is brought aboard the six yemeni runners follow suit and the boat is poled out into the river the squad of torch-bearers are seen watching our progress until we are well out into the middle of the stream and the officer in charge of my little guard stands out and signals them with his lantern 
notifying them, I suppose, that all is well. One would imagine from their actions that they were apprehensive of our sampan being pursued, or ambushed by some determined party. And yet the scene, as we drift noiselessly along with the current, looks lovely and peaceful as the realms of the blessed, the crescent moon, the shimmering water, and the slowly receding lights of the city. What danger can there possibly be in so quiet and peaceful a scene as this? By daylight we are anchored before another walled city, which I think is Ki Shui, a city of considerable pretensions as to wall, but full of social and moral rottenness and commercial decadence within, judging at least from outward appearances. Few among the crowds that are permitted free access to the Yemen here do not betray, in unmistakable measure, the sins of former generations, while as regards trade half the place is in a ruinous tumble-down condition. The Mandarin here is a fleshy, old-fashioned individual, with thick lips, and an expression of great good humor. He provides me with a substantial breakfast of rice and pork, and fetches his wife and children in to enjoy the exhibition of a fangwei feeding, likewise permitting the crowd to look in through the doors and windows. He is a phlegmatic, easy-going celestial, and occupies about two hours copying my passport and writing a letter at the end of this time he musters a squad of twelve retainers in faded red uniforms and armed with rusty pikes who lead the way back to the river followed by three yemeni runners equipped as usual each with an umbrella and a small string of tin to buy their food the gentlemen with the medieval weapons accompany us to the river and keep the crowd from pressing too closely upon us until i and the yemeni runners board a Kishwe sampan that is to convey me to the next downstream city. It now becomes apparent that my bicycling experiences in China are about ending, and that the authorities have determined upon passing me down the Kanjiang by boat to the Yangtzejiang. I am to be passed on from city to city like a bale of merchandise, delivered and receded for from day to day. A few miles downstream we overtake a fleet of some twenty war junks, presenting a most novel and interesting sight, crowded as each one is with the gayest of flags and streaming pennants galore. The junks are cumbersome enough, in all conscience, as utterly useless for purposes of modern warfare as the same number of floating hogsheads. Yet withal they make a gallant sight, the like of which is to be seen nowhere these days but on the inland waters of China each junk is propelled by a crew of fourteen oarsmen dressed in uniforms corresponding in colour to the triangular flags that flutter gaily in the breeze at the stern not the least interesting part of the spectacle are these same oarsmen as they ply their long unwieldy sweeps in admirable unison the sleeves of their coats are almost as broad as the body of the garment and at every sweep of the oar these all flap up and down together in a manner most comical to behold all day long our modest little sampan keeps company with this gay fleet, giving me an excellent opportunity of witnessing its manoeuvres. Said manoeuvres and evolutions consist of more or less noisy greetings and demonstrations at every town and village we pass. In the case of a small town, a number of pikemen and officials assemble on the shore, erect a few flags, hammer vigorously on a resonant gong, shout out some sing-song greeting, and shoot off a number of bombs and firecrackers. 
the foremost vessel of the fleet replies to these noisy compliments by a salute of its one gun and mayhap throws in two or three bombs according to the liberality of the salutation ashore at the larger towns the amount of gunpowder burned and noise created is something wonderful bushels of firecrackers are snapping and rattling away the wild gongs are beating bombs exploding by the score and salvos of artillery are making the mountains echo from every vessel in the fleet beneath the walls of a town we pass soon after noon are ranged fifteen other junks as the fleet passes these vessels simultaneously discharge all their guns while at the same instant there burst upon the startled air detonations from hundreds of bombs big heaps of firecrackers and the din of many resonant gongs not to be outdone the fleet of twenty return the compliment in kind and with cheers from the crews thrown in for interest the fifteen now join the procession adding volume and picturesqueness to the already wonderfully pretty scene by their hundreds of brilliant hued banners and theatrically costumed oarsmen about four o'clock as we are approaching the city of hatchang our destination for the day there comes to meet the gallant navy a pair of twin vessels surpassing all the others in the gorgeousness of their flags and the picturesqueness of their costumes purple is the prevailing color of both flags and crew at their splendid appearance our yameni runners announce in tones of enthusiasm and admiration that these newcomers hail from linjiang a large city downstream that I fancied it will be remembered having reached a Tahoe. The officials are still abed when in the early morning of the third day we reach Xinjiang and repair to the Yamen. A large crowd, however, gather and follow us from the marketplace, swelling gradually by reinforcements to a multitude that surges in and out of the shanty-like office in such swarms that the frail board walls bulge and crack with the pressure. When the crowd overwhelm the place entirely, the officials clear them out by angry gesticulations and moral suasion, sometimes menacingly shaking the end of their own cues at them as though they were wielding black snake whips. Having driven them out, no further notice is taken of them, so they immediately begin swarming in again, until the room is again inundated, when they are again driven out the permitting of this ebbing and flowing of the multitude into the official quarters is something quite incomprehensible to me the mob is swayed and controlled as far as they are controlled at all without any organized effort of those in authority when the officials commence screaming angrily at them they begin moving out when the shouting ceases they begin swarming back thus in the course of an hour the room will perchance be filled and emptied with angry remonstrance half a dozen times when from our own standpoint a couple of men stationed at the door with authority to keep them out would prevent all the bother and annoyance sure enough the chinaman is a peculiar little cuss whether seen at home or abroad if the inhabitants of Kishwe are scrofulous sore-eyed and mangy they are at least an improvement on the disgusting state of the public health at xinjiang as revealed in the lamentable condition of the crowd at the yemen and in the markets scarcely is it possible to single out a human being of sound and healthful appearance from among them all everybody has sore eyes some have horribly diseased scalps 
sores on face and body and all the horrible array of acquired and hereditary diseases one's hair stands on end almost at the thought of being among them to say nothing of eating in their presence and of their own cooking of my new escort from xinjiang all three have dreadfully sore eyes and one wretched mortal is as piebald as a circus pony from head to foot with the leprosy added to these recommendations they have the manners and instincts of swine rather than of human beings the same sampan is re-engaged to convey us farther downstream beneath the housing of bamboo mats the rice chaff leaves barely room for us to crowd in and huddle together from the rain and cold prevailing outside the worst the elements can do however is far preferable to personal contact with these vile creatures and so i don my blanket and gossamer rubbers and sit out in the rain the rain ceases and the chilly night air covers everything with a coating of hoar-frost but all this is nothing compared with the horrible associations inside the reeking fumes of opium and tobacco adding yet another abomination to be remembered at early morn we land and pursue our way for a few miles across country to linjiang which is situated on a big tributary stream a few miles above its junction with the kanjang our way leads through a rich strip of low country sheltered and protected from inundations by an extensive system of dikes here we pass through orchards of orange trees bristling with the small blood-red mandarin oranges we help ourselves freely from the trees for their great plenteousness makes them of very little value on the stalls they can be purchased six for one cent like the people in the great peanut producing country below nam huang the cheapness and abundance of oranges here seems an inducement for the people to almost subsist thereon everybody is either buying stealing selling packing gathering carrying or eating oranges coolies are staggering lin changward beneath big baskets of newly plucked fruit and others are conveying them in wheelbarrows boats are being loaded for conveyance along the river every orange tree is distinguished by white characters painted on its trunk big enough so that those who run may read the rightful owner's name and take warning accordingly three more wearisome but eventful days battling against adverse winds and we come to anchor in a little slough where a war junk and several fishing vessels are already moored for the night while supper is preparing i pass the time promenading back and forth along a little foot trail leading for a short distance round the shore the crew of the war vessel are engaged in drying fresh-water shrimps tiny minnows and other drainings and rakings of the water to store away for future use one of the younger officers stalks back and forth along the same path as myself brusquely maintaining the road whenever we meet evidently bent on showing off his contempt for the boasted prowess of the fangways by compelling me to step to one side his demeanor is that of a bully stalking about with a traditional chip on his shoulder daring me to come and knock it off considering the circumstances about us this is a wonderfully courageous performance on his part nothing but his ignorance of my smith and wesson can explain his temerity in assuming a bellicose attitude with only one man-of-war at his back out of consideration for this ignorance i studiously avoid interfering with the chip at length the river voyage comes to an end at wu chang on the poyang hu 
but I am permitted to proceed overland with an escort to Chujiang. Spending the last night at a village inn, we pursue our way over awful boulder paths next morning, for several miles, over a low mountain pass and down the northern slope to a level plain. A towering white pagoda is observable in the distance ahead. This, the Yemeni runner says, is Chujiang. At a little wayside tea-house I find Christmas numbers of the London graphic pasted on the walls. Yet with all this, so utterly unreliable has my information heretofore been, and so often have my hopes and expectations turned out disappointing, that I am almost afraid to believe the evidence of my own senses. The graphic pictures are of the Christmas pantomimes. The good woman of the tea-house points out to me the tremendous noses, the ear-to-ear -ear mouths, and the abnormal growths of chin therein depicted, with much amusement. Fangway, she says, tee-hee, tee-hee, apparently fancying them genuine representations of certain types of that queer, queer people. The paths improve, and soon I see the smoke of a steamer on the Yangtze, that which, it is needless to say, no more welcome sight has greeted my vision the whole world round. Only the smoke is seen rising above the city. It cannot be a steamer. It is too good to be possible. This isn't Chu Chang. This is another wretched disappointment. The smoke is some Chinese house on fire. Not until I get near enough to distinguish flags on the consulates, in the crosses on the mission churches do I permit myself fully to believe that I am at last actually looking at Chu Chang, the city that I have begun to think a delusion and a snare, an ignis fatuous that was dancing away faster than I was approaching. The sight of all these unmistakable proofs that I am at last bidding farewell to the hardships, the horrible filth, the soul-harrowing crowds, the abominable paths, and the ever-present danger and want of consideration, that in a little while all these will be a dream of the past, gives wings to my wheel wherever it can be mounted and ridden. The Yemeni runner is left far behind, and I have already engaged a rowboat to cross the little lake in the rear of the city, and the boatman is already pulling me to the Yingyun, when the poor Yemeni runner comes hurrying up and shouts frantically for me to come back and fetch him. Knowing that the man has to take back his receipt, I yield to his request. Follow him first to the Chuchang Yaman, and from thence proceed to the English consulate. Captain McQuinn of the China Steam Navigation Company's steamer Peking and the consulate doctor see me riding down the smooth graveled bund, followed by a crowd of delighted celestials. Hello, are you from Canton? They sing out in chorus. Well, 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 nobody expected to ever see anything of you again, and so you got through all safe, eh? What's the matter? You look bad about the eyes, says the observant doctor, upon shaking hands. You look haggard and fagged out. Upon surveying myself in a mirror at the consulate, I can see that the doctor is quite justified in his apprehensions. Hair long, face unshaved for five weeks, thin and gaunt-looking from daily hunger, worry and hard dues, generally. I look worse than a hunted greyhound. I look far worse, however, than I feel. A few days' rest and wholesome fare will work wonders. An appetizing lunch of cold duck, cheese, and bass's ale is quickly provided by Mr. Everard, the consul, 
who seems very pleased that the affair at Kinyang Fu ended without serious injury to anybody. The Peking starts for Shanghai in an hour after my arrival, a warm bath, a shave, and a suit of clothes kindly provided by Pilot King brings about something of a transformation in my appearance. Bountiful meals, clean, springy beds, and elegantly fitted cabins form an impressive contrast to my life aboard the sampans on the Jiujiang. The genii of Aladdin's lamp could scarcely execute any more marvelous change than that from my quarters and fare and surroundings at the village Hittim, where my last night on the road from Canton was spent and my first night aboard the elegant and luxurious Peking only a day later. A pleasant run down the Yangtze Chiang to Shanghai, and I arrive at that city just twenty-four hours before the Japanese steamer Yokohama Maru sails for Nagasaki. Taking passage aboard it leaves me but one brief day in the important and interesting city of Shanghai, during which time I have to purchase a new outfit of clothes see about money matters and what not end of section thirty nine recording by pamela crantz